Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. The first reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The second reading is taken from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The final reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Great. Well, it's time to welcome up Shagan. You already heard me mention that he leads King's Church in Epsom. Um, He is a wonderfully gifted man. He's a really warm friend. Um, He's part of the Commission family of churches as well. He's spoken here before, but the last time I think you spoke, we were in the back hall, we were doing work in here, it was still COVID time, so it's very different to be here. I also just found out that he's an ex-Arsenal supporter, because he says that's better for his emotional health and well-being. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes up to preach. Thank you. Thank you and and good morning one more time. Uh, It's wonderful to be in the presence of God. 
Uh, I'm here this morning with my lovely wife, Linda, and it's just amazing that we can gather together to worship God Almighty. Our God is so good. Those songs that we sang just reminds me of that great salvation that you and I enjoy. And if you're not a Christian yet today, I want to talk to you about the mysterious movement of God's grace. Uh, this is an amazing grace that Christians understand, but we will never fully understand because God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. As we've been reading in Exodus, the story of the Israelites, of how God took them out of bondage and made them a nation uh, all by himself. He initiated it. He sustained it. He took them through all of the journey. He was faithful when they were not faithful. And then he settled them in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Christians are inviting those who are not yet Christians into. To come, not just experience the goodness of God, but get to know him. Because when you get to know this gregarious God who gives with all of his heart and his life and he never stops giving, you will be amazed at how wonderful his love is and that you are not beyond the love of God. So this morning, I just want to share very briefly and then I'm going to make, we're going to make an invitation. It may not be me, maybe Howard, that will make an invitation at the end for those who are already Christians just to fall in love with this God all over again. And those who are not Christians, to get to know him. So if you're not a Christian today, just bear with me as I just share very briefly in the scriptures. The phrase, the mysterious movement of God is not mine, is one that I read in a book. Uh, uh, the title of the book is called Images of uh, the Church in the New Testament. It's written by Paul Minia. Uh, he died, I think, in 2007. He lived to 101 years old, and at 100, he was still writing, and his book was published. And he just, almost like a throwaway thing in this book, just said that phrase, the mysterious movement of God's grace, and it just caught my heart. And I felt that, that it, there is a story behind this grace. In fact, there are thousands and millions of stories behind this mysterious movement of God's grace. And we saw in the, in the reading that we've just read out how God led the children of Israel out. When they were in bondage, they couldn't help themselves, but God initiated a move through Moses. And then the story, you know how God miraculously led them out of Egypt and settled them in a land, Israel, that is flowing with Mekanani. But their story didn't end there. And in the New Testament, we see how God is doing the same thing through the church. And now, through 12 disciples, the church has grown. Billions of people now believe in Jesus Christ. It's the mysterious movement of God's grace, working in hearts and minds, changing one life after another. And can I just highlight for you one or few stories of lives that God has transformed? I don't know about you, but if Ed Sheeran were to give his life to Jesus today and become a member of this church, how many of you would be excited about that? I'm sure I've seen a few hands. I'm sure there are more hands that should go up, you know, that Ed Sheeran's given his life to Jesus and he's come here. Uh, but 
if Putin were to give his life to Jesus, some people may frown at that a little bit. He's an evil man, and he's causing chaos, and he's responsible for the cost of living crisis that we now face. But the mysterious movement of God's grace does not distinguish between people we call good or evil. It moves in many places, and people that we condemn, people that we will not accept, people will feel that needs to rot in hell. God's grace moves in a way that we don't approve of, but God says, my love extends to them also. So there is nothing you have done that excludes you from this mysterious movement of grace. If you open your heart to the Lord this morning, if you're not a Christian and you think, oh, I'm an evil person, people tell me so, my family tell me so, everything I touch, I wreck, I tell you, today, the mysterious movement of God's grace can move right into your heart. And it can make a home in your heart. And Jesus can come there and completely transform your life. There is this guy in the Bible called Saul. He was a Pharisee, uh, a fanatic, if you like, modern-day terrorist. He terrorized the church. He took letters from the authorities, and anybody who said they were Christians, he was ready to put them in prison or even kill them. And one day on the way to Damascus, he was going to do his usual to find Christians, either kill them or arrest them. And on the way, the mysterious movement of God's grace interrupted him. Nobody preached to him. And on the way, he saw a light and a voice from heaven saying, Paul, Paul, why do you, or Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. And he became blind for three days. And then God, in a miraculous way, told another disciple, Ananias, go and find this man. He's waiting for you. He's my vessel. I'm going to use him. And Ananias said, wait, wait, wait. This is a terrorist. We don't need, we don't need him in our church. Let him go to the next village. I don't know whether it's actually a ploy to try to deceive us, and when he gains entrance into our community, then he infiltrates us and then kills us. God, this is a bad idea. And God said, Ananias, he is my chosen vessel. And Ananias went over and prayed for Saul. The scale on his eyes fell off, and he became a Christian, was baptized, and another journey started. How do we integrate this ex terrorist with the local church. And thank God for a man called Barnabas, a child of encouragement. When Saul, who now became Paul, now said, oh, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm not going to kill you anymore. Jesus has really <laughs> transformed my life. Uh, people said, well, we're not sure. So if you figure that you were all sat here, and suddenly he walked through the door. Everybody moved that way because they were not sure of his intention. But then Barnabas got around him and said, look, God has transformed his life. And that's how his story began. In the end, he wrote more than half of the New Testament, the Bible that you're now reading. That is the story of the transformation 
of the grace of God. It turns the life of a man and a woman around. In my country where I come from, originally Nigeria, there is an amdroba whose name is Kyle Williams. And this guy terrorized people, was evil. Eventually, uh, the law caught up with him, and he was put in prison. And everyone celebrated. He will rot in jail. And everyone was happy because this was an evil man, and it killed many people. And then there is a crazy evangelist who, in that time, took an helicopter uh, over the prison and scattered tracts all over. Kyle De Williams saw one of these tracts, and he took it, what rubbish, and he just squeezed it and threw it in the corner of his room, in the cell. And then one day, he just felt that he should take that tract. And he took the tract, and he read it. And I tell you, the power of God, the mysterious movement of grace in his cell room entered into his heart, and he gave his life to Jesus. After a while, uh, change of government, um, yeah, we're going to have a new prime minister on Monday, but if you go to Africa, we change governments very quickly. Um, sometimes, sometimes they don't allow us to do elections. The military just come and say, we're imposing ourselves. So when you complain, just think about Africa sometimes <laughs> and thank God for uh, our country. But you see, so he was pardoned and he came out of prison and then he became an evangelist. And through him, thousands upon thousands of people came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Left to the church, Paul would not be admitted into the church. Left to the church in Nigeria, Kyle Williams cannot claim that he is a good man. But because of the mysterious movement of God's grace, God found a place in their hearts and turned them back to himself. Church, I just want to say to us, sometimes we can feel very cozy. Our numbers are okay. We like the people that we have. And when strange people start coming in, you say, oh, no, I don't like the way my church is belonging. I was just thinking, we were praying back there, and I wondered, as, I, as Howard was praying and others were praying, their heart, I could see their heart for the lost in the city, and I could see their heart for those who are moving in into the city in September, uh, for those who are in the city who don't know Jesus Christ. And I just wondered, what if suddenly, by the miraculous move of God, a hundred homeless people just walked into church this morning. How will we feel? First of all, the atmosphere will change, and it won't be the Holy Spirit, it will be smell. <laughs> How will you cope with that? So I feel that as we celebrate God, we also need to know that He's redrawing the boundary of those who belong to Him. And those who are outside, he's drawing the boundaries, making the circle bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not only based on what you do as your witness, it's also the move of his spirit in places where you cannot go. Amen. It's the power of God that is doing this. And we need to remind ourselves of, of this. So let me talk about the extraordinary God, this gregarious God that we serve. He starts the work of salvation in our lives. He sustains it, and ultimately, he's responsible for guaranteeing that we will be in heaven. Amen. 
I used to believe once very, very badly due to bad teaching that God was responsible for bringing me to become a Christian. He walks in my heart and I become a Christian. And then I need to sustain my Christianity by my effort. I need to try hard and pray hard. And yes, those things are good, but I didn't think that it was God that was sustaining. But actually, it is him who started the work. It's him who is sustaining. And in the end, he's the one who's going to guarantee heaven for you. You have to work hard. You have to stand your ground. You have to fight against temptation. But ultimately, it will not be because you're standing by yourself. Ultimately, it will not be because of your own effort or self-determination. It will be because of his mysterious movement of grace that will carry you on eagle's wings like it did the children of Israel. And we see in their story the pattern, how evil they were, how rebellious. There were times when they say, let's go back to Egypt. But God in his mercy, because he's a covenant-keeping God, he kept them all the way through. He called them out of Egypt to draw them into himself, to become a people, those who were just not a people, lost in slavery. He called them to become a people. And as I see us as a church standing where individuals from different families and different backgrounds, Howard says, up to 40 nationalities, your story is different. The same mysterious movement of grace have worked in each of your hearts to get you to where you are today. But God is not wanting to stop there. He's wanting us to now together form a family of God who recognizes the work of grace in our lives. And therefore, we belong to him. You belong to him. That's, isn't that amazing? You belong to the most high God. If you look at the history of the world, the significant things that have happened that reshaped the history of this world, God's hands always been in it. And God's hand is upon your life. And I want you to know that as you are in this covenant relationship, yes, you will falter sometimes. Yes, you will fall. But let's be like our Father, who is a covenant-keeping God. Always faithful, always loving, never breaks his word. Never, ever breaks his word. So powerful God, so generous God, an amazing father. I'm glad that I belong to him. And in that place that we read, he says we are a chosen people. And in uh, Peter that we read, he says that we are a treasured possession. You are a treasured possession. And I just think about the first time I cuddled my son, I just felt in my heart, because we waited for my son for five years, and some of you may say, well, that's not a wait at all, but back in Africa, once you get married, nine months, and nothing is happening, <laughs> the in-laws are coming, <laughs> and they're saying, what's going on? Uh, so uh, we waited for my son for five years, with five long years, and when he finally came, and I looked at him, and I just wondered, oh, God, God through, through me, God's made this little fellow amazing. Now, he's taller than me. He's a rugby player. He's 21. But it is God's, we are God's treasured people. And in the way that you treasure your children, in the way that you treasure the people that are, are, are so dear to you, it's the same way God treasures 
you. How you feel about him when you're in trouble is not a reflection of how he feels about you. That precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross of Calvary is sufficient for you. And somebody said, uh, and I believe them, that if it was only one person that needed saving, Jesus still would have died on the cross. What an amazing love. What an amazing love. I want you to know you have worth. Your worth is not in what you think of yourself or what others say about you. It's how God sees you, that he came from heaven and said, I want to save that person by my grace. They can't earn it. They don't deserve it. But yet I'm going to give it to them. When I read again the parable of the sower, and when the sower takes the seed, seed is so precious, God's word is the seed. And he says he doesn't just place it, he scatters it. It's the generosity of the Father that my word will reach as many people as possible. Thank God that the word of God is not scarce in this country and in our nation. And God is so, so in love with you. He treasures you. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he spoke to Moses and went to, to liberate the people of Israel to call them to himself. And you say, okay, that's them, but it's also you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And sometimes you don't feel holy. Sometimes I don't feel holy. And I just discovered all over again, as I was reading the scriptures, the story of Eli Elijah when um, I don't know whether you know this story, but basically there was a, a famine and Elijah had declared that there would be no rain. And God said, go to the brook. I will provide for you there. And then the brook dried up and God said, go to Zarephath. A, wi a widow will look after you there. She will supply your needs. And then Elijah went and met this widow and she was poor. How can that widow supply for Elijah? She's poor and she had the last meal to survive on. And then God told Elijah, say to her, the jar of flour will not run out and the jar of oil will not run dry. And from being poor, she became blessed. Until the end of the drought, she provided for Elijah. So sometimes when God says, you are mine and I love you and you don't feel loved, don't think of what you believe, think of what God says. He means what he says. And he's he doesn't just flatter us. He means it. He loves you. You are his pre precious possession. Amen. Let's just think about some benefits, some of the benefits uh, of being in a covenant relationship with God. You belong to God's community. In 1 Peter uh, 2.9, it says that. And then also, what happens is that there is an ongoing transformation that happens in your heart. Let me just read this verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what the Lord God does. This is what he does. He takes us just as we are. How many of you know that as Christians, you come just as you are with your filth, with your sin, with your issues all messed up, but you never stay as you are. 
You get transformed. You get changed. And if you say that I've arrived, I've come to a point where I know all I need to know, I am now good enough, I bet you're just starting. In fact, that is a sign of sin in your life. God keeps transforming us. He keeps changing us. So I don't know how you feel about yourself. You're very contented about your Christian life, but you need to be pushing more in into God because when you do, like Isaiah, you will just realize that compared to his glory, you're so filthy. And when you come near, as you draw near, the nearer you come, the holier you get. And your evil cannot contaminate his good. It's so, so pure that his purity is transferred on you as you get close to him. So as we begin the season of belonging, first thing I want to emphasize is, and all the point that I've been making since morning is that you belong to him. Stay connected with him. Stay intimate with him. Trust him, especially in the season when there is crisis, when some people are looking for the next job, when some people don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Trust him because you belong to him. And he says, I will provide for you. I am a very present help in the time of trouble. If you've not tried it before, uh, 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 you, you have a situation in your life that is overwhelming or a meeting you want to go to, you don't know how to, to, to handle it on Monday, just this morning, right here, even right now, just whisper a prayer to God and say, I need your help. Amen. It doesn't have to be more than that. And you will experience the hand of God in your life. So it goes on transforming our lives. Even though we come filthy, it cleans us up and helps us as we go along. We are assured of his continued presence. Isaiah says that, you know, when you walk through water, the Lord will be with you. We guide you. His strength will uphold you. And we are also assured of his comfort. Now, God didn't promise us that we won't go through challenges as he's drawing us in to belong to him. But he says that he will comfort us with all comfort. I want to read that scripture because recently I read it and it struck me over again what God is doing. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. Listen to this. Who comforts us in all our troubles. In how many? Please talk to me. How many? All. all not some. All our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is his nature. So even though you will go through challenges, you will go through difficulty, he never promised. If anybody said to you, if you give your life to Jesus, your problems are over. They're lying. That's not the gospel. What Jesus Christ promised is that I will be with you. If you have to go through it, I'll give you grace to go through it. Amen. And then some of us have looked back and said, how did we survive that? Then we can remember, it's the mysterious grace of God Amen. upon our lives. It says it will comfort us. So he has promised his comfort in every situation. So I know that there are probably about 200 people here. I don't know how many are watching, but 
there are some of you that have issues. I have my own issues. This morning is about, not about me telling you about my issues because I know who to talk to about my issues, but we have our troubles. We all have our troubles. And sometimes we put up a big smile, and I'm a smiley person, but the challenges inside is there, and you can't smile them away. But God says, in the time that you're in it, I will comfort you. What comfort means is that he will give you grace to be able to carry that until that time when he brings you to that solution. And if you've come into it, you're going to go through it, you're going to come out the other side better than you were when you went in. Because that's what he does. He's a great God. Amen. Assured of his comfort, and we are assured of his living hope and eternal life. And this is the ultimate benefit of belonging to him. That he's promised us that death will not speak with finality over your life. You are going to be with him forever in heaven. And look at these two verses uh, in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's amazing. He's given us his son, the most precious thing. How will he not give us all the other things that we ask for? 2 Peter 1, 3. By his divine power, I love this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So if you're still dilly-dallying with sin uh, and you're saying, well, I just can't help myself, you know, I've tried many times. God has given you everything you need to lead a godly life. You need to find it out. You need to stay close to him and find that out. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. This is amazing promise that God has given us. So that's the promises, some of them. There are many of them. But what about the obligations? There are obligations as well, key obligations. In that story, I mean, in that text we read in Exodus 19, God called them to himself and said, if you will obey me partly. Yeah? If you will obey me fully and keep my commandments or keep my covenant, it says, you will be my treasured possession. So sometimes when God speaks and we read about his promises, we like holding him to his promises. We like holding him to his promises, but we don't see our end of the bargain. We kind of glance over that and don't look at it. God says, He expects us to obey him fully. He expects us to keep his covenant. And he expects us to love him with all of our hearts and to love one another as well. When I came in this morning, somebody who's not seen me before said, hello, is this your first time? And I smiled and I said, it's not. (laughs) If we want to be a belonging community, we need to do more of that. 
You may say, well, I'm an introvert, and I cannot be an extrovert like that other person, and God's made me this way, but it doesn't cost you a lot to say hello. (laughs) And I don't know about how many people, how many of you know 10 people that are sat here this morning? 10. Good. How many of you know 20? How many of you know 30? 40? 50? The hands are fewer, but there are still some. That's fantastic. God has called us out to love him, but the way that we show that love for him is to love one another. Is it possible this morning that you don't know the person sitting on your right or on your left? Is it? Is it? I suspect so. Okay. I will give you one minute of my preaching time to say hello to each other. I'm serious. Go on and do that. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good stuff. How many of you have found out something new about somebody this morning? How long did that take you? One minute? How many of you exchanged numbers? But if we want to become a belonging people, we have to do more of that. And it has to last for more than one minute. It has to translate into finding out interests, playing football, golf, whatever it is together, having meals together, getting to know one another. It has to translate into trusting one another to be able to share your deeper thoughts your worries and your challenges, and your successes. He has to translate to the point where you're able to confess your sins to one another. That's what it means. We have to get this right. The community that God creates becomes attractive when people see that you love one another. What did Jesus say? By these all men will know that you love me if you love one another, that you belong to me, if you love one another. So this is really key. We, the leaders can do all that they can, but each and every one of us have to decide how we become part of this big community of love that God is creating. And you need to take steps. Sometimes those steps will not be comfortable. Sometimes it will mean being vulnerable. Sometimes it will mean taking risks. You've seen them in church a a few times, and then you say, come to my house. You're not sure. But then watch out what God will build. Incredible friendships, incredible relationships that will carry you through 
the ages. And then lastly, God wants us to be witnesses, and I will speak more on that later. I've not got much time, but in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, there is a model that, a model of this belonging that happened. The Spirit of God came at Pentecost, and then suddenly God's people started growing. 3,000 people joined them. Can you imagine how chaotic that could be? Now, if we want to prepare for 3,000 people, we have to sit many, many years planning, strategy, what are we going to do? All of a sudden, it just happened. One preached, they didn't prepare for it. And they were suddenly, probably they were about 200 or or more, and then suddenly they were 3,000 plus. And then they started going into each other's homes. They were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They started fellowshipping together. They started praying together. They started sharing together to the point that the wealthy sell part of their land, brought the money so that nobody will lack. Can you imagine in the heart of Westminster City, a church where every single member can say, through the time of crisis, there was no time I wanted to eat, I didn't have food, and there was no time I wanted to turn the eating on, that I didn't turn it on, because my church stood with me. That's a story, isn't it? And through that, God will see, people will see and say, wow, I want to belong to that. That's a progressive community. That's a loving community. And that's what God wants to do. God is always redrawing this boundary. So we've talked about us, God, loving us. We belonging to God and his cozy and his church. But it gets messy when God starts drawing people we don't approve of in people who perhaps you know their history, you know what they've done, you know how they've hurt you, and suddenly they they come to your church and there's history, and you go to the pastor and say, "Uh, I'm not sure I can stay in this church because if you know what they did to me 10 years ago, what if God decides to save that person? How will your attitude be? So God is redrawing this boundary all the time. The church will not always remain cozy. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's chaotic. Sometimes people come in with issues. You pray for them today and then the same issue next month and then two years down the line, ten years down the line, and you still have to keep loving them because your father loves them. Not all of us are finished products. That sounds nice. None of us is a finished product. We're still vessels in the hands of this mighty God. So when God is redrawing this boundary, let's cooperate with him. Let's not exclude people. Let's be an inviting community. In Romans 9, 25 to 26, it says this. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. There are others who need to come. God's camp is big and wide. For God so loved the church that he gave his only begotten son. Is that it? For God so loved the world. The world that he gave his only begotten son. 
And don't forget, you were part of that world until God depopulated the kingdom of darkness and brought you in. And in the same way, there are others he wants to bring in. For God so loved the world, including the Russians that are killing people right now, including those rapists that are out there, including those terrorists that wreck havoc. The grace of God is not comprehensible. It's mercy trumps judgment with God. And sometimes we feel, well, we, we, we like social justice and we, we want people to receive justice. But when you are in the courtroom and you are under scrutiny, you want mercy. But for others, you want justice. But God is saying, I'm a God of justice and I'm a merciful God as well. And I know how to met out my justice as well as extend my mercy. But my anger lasts for a moment in time. Anyone who comes to me, I will receive unto myself and show them my grace. This is what God wants to do. Let's be a church that is willing, hungry for those who are lost out there and say, God, welcome them. And as I finish, how will you respond? How will you respond this morning? There are different ways that you can respond. And one is, if you're not a Christian at all, and you've been hearing me talk about this, I want you to give Jesus a room in your heart. Let the grace of God, in a way I can't understand, move into your heart. My dad's been uh, dead for seven years now. He's gone to glory. He was a Muslim, and he was praying in the mosque one day, He had never heard about Jesus before, and nobody had preached to him at all. And in the mosque, as he was praying, in the usual way Muslims do, because he comes from a a cleric um, Muslim family, very big one, where I come from. And as he raised his head, he had a voice, and the voice said to him, I don't want you to pray to me this way. From that moment in time, he lost his peace. He could not get himself to pray as a Muslim. Long story short, he left home. They abandoned him. They disowned him. And then he found Jesus. When I grew up, I didn't know any of my uncles or cousins or aunties because we were excluded from this big Muslim family. But my father found a family in the church. And every person in the church became my family. So it comes natural to me now to feel free amongst God's people. Over the years, God has now moved in the heart of my uncles and aunties, and some of them have come to know Jesus through the ministry of my father. It's the mysterious movement of God's grace over my father that did that. And he wants to do more. And God is inviting you to submit to him. Ask him into your life. So you may be an Hindu this morning or looking in or watching online and you're wondering, what is he talking about? Just pray the simple prayer and say, Jesus, I want to experience what that man is talking about. Will you come into my heart today? And he will. And as we, you may want to respond by saying, well, I'm already a Christian, but I want to be grateful and thankful to God forever. I want to never diminish the work of salvation in my life and give thanks to God all the time, my adoration uh, to him and be grateful. But also, you may want to respond by saying, well, 
I've not been playing my part in the church. I just come and I go. I don't know how the chairs get arranged. I don't know how the coffees get set out. But sometimes when I'm on the queue and it's too long, I'm just wanting to get my coffee. And that's been my attitude. But actually now, I want to talk to the leaders and say, what can I do? How can I contribute? Because if you're in a community, you don't just sit down and warm the bench. Or you don't have benches. You have chairs. <laughs> you play your part. When God calls people, He calls them to play a part. Who knew that Paul's part was going to be significant in the way it was? But God did. So play your part in the community and then help others to draw near. Help others to draw near. Be willing to share your story. In the end, we want to be God's display people. God wants to put us on display and say, see what God has done. See what I've done in the life of this one. He was hopeless. He was rejected, but I've accepted him. And as you stand on display for the world to see, people will know that there is a God in heaven that transformed people's lives. And his name is Jesus. And you can come to him today. With arms open wide, he's ready to receive you. Why don't we rise up as we just pray and worship this great God who is amazing. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done. I thank you for my life. I thank you, God, Father, for oh, over 40 years ago, you called me out of darkness. Even though I was a pastor's son and I thought that was enough, but I knew when you came into my heart that I had to know you personally. You cannot remain my father's God. You have to be my own God. And I pray, Father, this morning that you will, your mysterious movement of grace will move in this auditorium and touch hearts and minds and online and touch people, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And for those of us who are already belonging to you, we thank you, Father, for your saving grace. Thank you for your amazing love. I thought I was unlovable, but you loved me all the same. Lord, I'm weak and feeble, and yet you received me to yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.